Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, June 26, 2022, called Making the Two One, God's Craftsmanship, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And there's an outline. If you want to jot a note or two, of course, it'll be projected up here. So we're continuing in a, in a series. This is a little bit unusual. We're just taking a few verses at a time and going slowly uh, through this Ephesians chapter 2. And so if you're watching online, we want to welcome you um, and uh, thank you for joining us. And, um, and if, you, if you miss these, it's, you can go to our, our YouTube channel. You can go to and, and connect them and, and catch up on those. But I think they're going to hang together one after the other. And the reason that we chose to do this series is there is a portion in Ephesians chapter 2 which talks about, and God made the two one, removing the dividing wall of hostility. I've had a number of people talk to me about how do, we, how do we address the division and polarization of the world that we're facing? Can the church speak into that? How do we speak into that? And uh, I didn't want to just cherry pick a number of different verses around the Bible and then, and then try to just have each of those speak to it. I wanted a portion of where uh, God was giving counsel to his people when they experienced a certain amount of division and hostility, and how did that counsel speak into their hearts by God's Spirit? And Ephesians 2 just kind of jumped out at, at the pastors, at your pastors. And so we're going slowly here through it. And these very, very familiar words, this is always tricky when you preach on a piece which is so familiar. It's like, oh, well, I know that already. And it's, it's, it's almost like it's hard to preach at Christmas, you know, or Easter people's, oh, I know that. And so it's a challenge. I want you to focus in on this. And if you have your phone or you have your Bible, you have this text, you might even circle or highlight. Whatever you do that goes beyond simply listening helps you remember it better. Okay, so this is, this is, these are just key, key verses. And I speak to it because in many ways these verses are kind of very ironic that we're talking about unity. Because these are, in some words, some people have called these kind of the battle cry of the Reformation. Now, isn't that interesting, just using that language, that kind of militaristic, that adversarial language. You know, the key verse to the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, was actually not Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but it was from the Old Testament. Paul quotes from the Old Testament, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And that was the thing in which Luther said, the Holy Spirit opened my mind, the heavens opened, and I understood that it was not resting on my ability, it was on Christ's work alone. And that, of course, led him then to these verses, which flesh that out in, 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 in more richness and breadth. For it is by grace you have been saved, charis, a gift, a present, undeserved, unearned. And you get that gift by faith. Faith takes hold of it. And even that faith is not your own doing, Paul writes. It, too, is the gift of God, right? We say that about the Holy Spirit. We talked about that on Pentecost Sunday. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. And so we'll talk about that a little bit. But that became 
the summary verse of the Reformation. And, and here's the horror. This is the brokenness of sinful humanity. The, the Reformation and the division it caused in the church caused literally hundreds of thousands of deaths of Christian fighting Christian. That's a horror. That's a tragedy. That's a horror. And Luther was, he, there were times in his life when he suffered from such anxiety and depression because people looked to him as some kind of leader and he said, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm just reading God's word. And I remember at one point, someone came to him and said, why would you take away indulgences, you know, this great comfort? Why would you take away, if this is a great comfort to people? And Luther said, comfort is not the issue. Truth is the issue. What is true? And so to give people false hope in a piece of paper in which you spent some money to get out of hell is no hope whatsoever. And so we want people to rest in Christ alone. So it's almost ironic that we use these verses because the verses as Paul uses them is he made the two one, removing the dividing wall of hostility. Well, in our sinful brokenness, even God's word speaking with such clarity did not accomplish that goal between, between brother and sister and between different faiths. And so that's something to grieve and that's something to repent of. And here's the challenge. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't often do, and, and I'm, I'm going to preface this real carefully. We are so careful in our tradition. Let, let me give you the context. I, I was just at our convention of 250 congregations, and one of the resolutions which we, which, which we wrote, and our region in Idaho wrote it, I said to my guys, I want a resolution like this, that our Lutheran Church in the Missouri Synod should never be aligned with any particular political party. I want it as a formal resolution that the Lutheran Church in Missouri Synod is not Republican, it's not Democrat, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our, that's deeply grounded in our theology, deeply grounded. And I see this tendency to start saying, if you're of this particular party, you can't be a Christian. If you're in this political party, you can't possibly be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I, we, it never made it to the floor for discussion, but it made it into the book. And I'm, so I'm giving you this context. This is my heart. So what I'm telling you, what I'm going to talk about next, is illustrative of this. How does he make the two one in a time when we are so polarized, when we, when we can be so quick to judge, when we can be filled with such animosity, I pray that this works in our hearts as God intends it to work in his people to make the two one. Here's the trick. We don't become unified because we agree with each other. We become unified because we agree with Christ. Amen? We become unified because we agree with the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ our Savior. So that is always our goal. We're going to hold up Christ. We're going to talk of Christ. We're going to speak of Christ. So what follows next is that. So for example, the country is in some turmoil because of Supreme Court decisions right now. And I so rarely speak of any of this. I so rarely do that because people will immediately think I'm politicizing. So I hope this context, that I'm clear. We are people and our denomination and our tradition has always been about life. The life of a woman in pregnancy 
or in crisis, the life of the unborn, the life of the severely disabled, the life of the autistic, the life of the aged, at end of life. Our, the scripture speaks to us clearly of how the fifth commandment, which says, thou shalt not murder, really says, is really saying, life, hold up life. Because God is the author of life. So in all of those circumstances, so just, for example, if we are adamant, and I will tell you personally, and, and our, we are rejoicing that there may be fewer unborn who lose their lives. I, I'm going to not be apologetic for that. At the same time, if we only rejoice in that and then say, okay, done, and we care not for the woman who is in crisis, for the child which needs care, needs to find a nurturing and caring home, then we have failed as well. I am convinced that this is an opportunity. I believe that great division creates greater opportunity for true unity. It's just like this. When I find that, I find that apathy is the hardest thing to overcome in people. I would rather have you deeply opposed to me because we can at least engage. But if you're apathetic, meh. And in fact, Paul talked, I mean, uh, John speaks of it. God speaks of it in Revelation. The apathetic or lukewarm, God spits them out. And so there's, there's a value in here. So I'm, uh, this is very risky for me. I don't do this very often. But I want you to know that we are champions of life and that we want to agree with Jesus Christ. And so that's the foundation for what this is about. Because if that's the case, and if we are longing for greater unity, then we long to unify ourselves in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So for instance, let's look at this. So let's examine this text. God, look at how it starts. You want some grace? I started with unadulterated, full-on, full-fire-hose grace right at the beginning. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is not a future. God will someday do that. In your baptism, in God working faith in your heart, in your public profession of what God has already done, God seats you with Christ now. That's good news. That is unbelievable honor. And so, I'm, so you know what I'm saying here? One of the foundations of unity is a measure of humility. Did you earn that? To be seated with Christ? Did you do the work that he alone could do? Did you deserve the outpouring of his grace and the agony which he endured? I didn't. We are honored beyond measure. And if we don't get humble, if we don't get humble, our words fall on deaf ears. Our words fall like rocks. They are unreceived. They are unwelcome. And so we don't know everything, and we ought to stop acting like we do. But we do know that Christ has cared and loved and intervened in a broken world with broken people, me being one of them, you being part of that. And we are the recipients of that healing grace. And so the first one, I, I remember, well, um, it wasn't a friend. It was really Teresa's friend, um, um, a couple of twins who played. She did lots of music with them in college. And one of them married um, a candidate for uh, 
for uh, the House of Representatives in Illinois. And he, and he happened to be a Republican that got elected in the wave of, of um, the second term of uh, Ronald Reagan. It was this huge wave. And I remember him being interviewed, and he was in a group of friends, and he was a novice. He had never, like, run for anything. And he said, yep, I got in on the coattails of Ronald Reagan. He said, I'm just learning what to do. I have principles, and I have values that matched. And please, again, please don't read me making political statements here. I'm giving you an example in which he rode into office on the coattails. He said, I didn't deserve this. I, don't, I didn't earn this, but I'm going to do my best. For many of us as Christians, that could, be a pretty, that could be a decent attitude for us. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. I'm going in on Jesus' credit card. Jesus is paying the bill. Jesus has made the way. And I'm going in, and now I long to simply align with my Savior honor my savior. So it's kind of coattails is what I said. We get there on coattails. We don't get there because we earned it, because of our resume, because of what we have. It's an incredible honor. It's an unbelievable, extravagant outpouring of love. And it is completely undeserved. It should make us humble and grateful. Humble and grateful. Second thing is this. You know, in our community and in many communities around the country, I I forget, some of you might correct me. Is it called the kind campaign? In like District 25, to be kind to one another, kind of kindness. And it's interesting. It's great. I think it's great to be kind to one another. It's how you define that word. What does kind mean? Because sometimes kindness often is interpreted as not being mean. You know, not doing something. And other times, kindness is, is, is defined as um, agreeing and affirming what someone else is doing even if it's right or wrong or if it aligns with values or whatever. You know how kindness is used here? The Greek word on it is exactly lined up with the name of Christ, Christos, and charis, which is grace. It's a fascinating word in which he says this. Um, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The kindness word is really this. It's not passive. It's far more than nice. Go ahead and bring that up for me, Liz. It's far more than just nice. It's redemptive. The kindness of God redeems us, buys us back. We who were lost, we who maybe considered ourselves of no value or others told us we were of no value, and Christ said, that one's mine. That's the kind of kindness that is talked about here. And so for us to become one, to recognize, like the unmerciful servant in the parable in Matthew, that he had been the recipient of great kindness. Literally millions of dollars had been forgiven. It's the, the, one of the funny lines of Scripture is when he says to the master, just give me some time, I'll pay it all back. There is no way. He cannot, he didn't, in 40 lifetimes he couldn't. And the master forgives it all. And of course when he goes out, he sees a guy who owes him one day's wage. Common day laborer. Owes him about 80 bucks. And he throws him in jail for not, for not. And so this one is this. God's kindness is active. It's redemptive. It's a work of grace without, without um, deserving, without earning. 
The third thing is this. So I, uh, it was Father's Day last Sunday, and it was weird because I had to drive over to Nampa and do an ordination for uh, someone. So I missed out on Father's Day, which is not like the highlight of my calendar, but I kind of like it because my family's nice to me that day. And, uh, but what's, and they're nice to me every day. They're looking and they're conferring over there. I'm in trouble now. They're always nice to me, forever nice, every time, at every moment. And, uh, but here's what was neat. I had made an offhand comment and to one member of my family, I think it was Teresa, and then it found its way to Sarah and then I think to Ben. And I'm at the job site building my house. You know I'm building a house? I think you know that. Um, and here shows up this ladder that I have been coveting and longing for, and it just appeared. And I love that. To me, this, is, this was just illustrative to me of getting a present. Isn't it great when you get a present? Because we're in an odd gift-giving season, aren't we, era, in which we give gift cards to people, uh, often because uh, we don't want to go to the effort of actually finding out what that person would really love to have and then meet their need. Uh, a gift card is easy. Now, you can still give me gift cards. Please don't fail to give me gift cards. No. <laughs> I've actually, and they are great in lots of ways because it gives you lots of flexibility. You can do whatever you want. Thank you, Bob Bloom, who buys me breakfast every Sunday of the year. So it's, uh, but, they're, they're, but you know what I mean? We're in that era. And sometimes like, well, I don't want to offend or I don't know if I did that right. I don't, you know, can I ask that personal question? But isn't it great when somebody went to the work of discovering your real need and then met it without you asking. That's what Christ has done. For it is by grace you have been saved, by a free gift, unearned, undeserved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. But here's, what I, here's the tagline. But the great gift in this, and forgive me for the pun, is his presence. Because when God acts in grace, it's not a one-time gift. He's not keeping score. He's not recounting all the other times he's giving you a gift because of your need right now. And he always meets our need, and it keeps going. His great gift is his ongoing promise to say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's the great gift, is the great gift of his presence. I believe that unity begins to happen when we acknowledge honestly and truly, that in our interactions with other people, that Christ himself would be standing right with us. How would we treat that person? How would we speak to that person if our Lord Jesus was right with us? What a gift. What a gift that is. People, you might be saying, well, I really want to say what I want to say. Well, that's just wrong. We want to say those things which unify us with our Savior Jesus Christ. That's the great gift, that he is always with us, meeting our need all the time. People, I remember people said, said to me once, oh, you Lutherans, you do that confession every week. It's so depressing. And I go, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm being honest. Because last, in the last week, did I honor my Lord completely? Did I bring him into every conversation? Did I seek his counsel and wisdom at every step instead of my own? I need it. And God offers it. We love the privilege to say to you constantly, and every time we gather and worship, you are forgiven. Christ is with you. Come before him in humility, but as his child with boldness, 
to seek his grace and his mercy. Okay, fourth thing. Fourth thing. Because of his kindness, you have been saved through trusting Christ. This is the Living Bible. Okay, this is a paraphrase. This is not a full-on translation. But this is, these are those verses. Because of his kindness, you have been saved through trusting Christ. And even trusting is not of yourselves. It, too, is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done, so none of us can take any credit for it. You know, um, so people ask me, so Brad and I are building this house together, and I have a couple of high school students who are helping, and they've been great. Matthew and, Matthew and Logan have been great. I couldn't do this without Brad. I couldn't do it. I mean... Maybe I could study or go to school. Maybe I could try it. But I'd probably have to tear down as many walls as I put up just because I would have done it wrong. But people will often ask me, Pastor, why are you doing that? Why, why do you like projects and building so much? And I tell them, you know, I love being a pastor. I never trade it for anything. It's, it's God's call on my heart and my life. And I love serving you and you're my family. Um, but I sometimes can't tell if I'm, if I'm making a difference in your life. Or, you know, if what I'm sharing with you is making a difference. It's hard to measure. But when I build something, I can go, I built that wall. But here's the cool thing about it. As I say, I, I just love Brad. Brad is so awesome. I can't look at any wall in that place and say, I did that. What I can say is, Brad led the way on that. And I tagged along. And that's my Savior. He did that. And I tagged along. It's what, what this, what the idea is that even faith is the gift. People struggle with this because they're like, okay, I get it that Jesus died. I get it that he gave everything. I get it that I can, there's no way I can get to heaven without Jesus, but I got to do something. And the irony of that is, the great paradox of that is, as soon as you say, I got to do something, then the key factor in your eternal salvation is you and not your Savior. We uh, Lutherans have written uh, doctrinal statements. We love to write them. We write lots of them. One of them was called the Defense of the Augsburg uh, Statement of Faith. It was a defense of our Augsburg Confession. And in it, the Roman Catholic Church struggled with our statement that we are saved by grace through faith for Christ's sake alone. Very simple statement. We are saved by grace through faith for Christ's sake alone. And the Lutheran and the Lutheran theologians answered the Catholic Church's problem with that with a lengthy dissertation. Forty-eight times, our folks said from Scripture, we refuse to take any credit to ourselves for our salvation. Why? Because it would take away from the glory which is rightly due Jesus Christ alone. Get it? Because it would take away from the glory of Christ. And so we give all glory to Christ with every breath, at every time, and for every opportunity for our salvation. So even faith, because the question is this, in what will you boast? I, I'm going to boast about this house when I get it built, but not because of what I did. I'm going to say there's no way I could have done this. This would have been a shambles. It would have been a shack. It would have been an embarrassment if it was left up to me. But because of what has been done in leading the way, I can boast in him. I boast in Christ. That's what Paul says. Let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. We boast in Jesus Christ. Even our faith, we should boast that God said he considered me worthy of placing my trust in him. 
that I could be used as his witness, that I could be used as his reflection. And the last thing is this, number five. And we, this verse is often left off. Lutherans often leave this off, and we should never leave it off. For we are God's workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I joke about this. So Ryan built a shed during the middle of COVID. And uh, so we, we got to do this. It's only an inch and a half off, I think, is, is all, because I did it with him. But he calls me sometimes because there's my son-in-law. He says, I need you, uh, d- uh, Pastor Dinger, because I need this done fast. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> fast. He calls Ben if he wants it to be done right. Okay, so I'm a blunt instrument. I say it all the time. I'm great at demo. I'm great at demo. I can do that. But finished work, not so good. Not so good. I'm kind of a blunt instrument. But you know what's interesting? Even that blunt instrument is part of the craftsmanship of God. And I am thankful for people like Tim and Ben that God has put in my life who love to do finished work, who love to do finished. Now, here's the difference. We often think that finished work means it's done. Here's the irony of what we mean in this passage, what Paul is teaching us in this passage. The work has been done, and it continues. You know there's two seasons in Idaho, right? Winter and road construction, right? You know that? That's kind of how it is in the Christian life. There are challenges that we face, sometimes darkness and cold and things like that. And then there's road construction. There's heart construction. As God continues to step into our lives, to heal us, to put us, to put us, you know, continue to shape us and to form us according to his will. And so I think there should always be a sign on me that says this site under construction. God loves us just the way we are. This is a Max Lucado quote. God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you so much he's not willing to leave you that way. He wants to transform you into his likeness, that we might reflect his grace and his work in our lives. And so people sometimes struggle with this, thinking, well, that's not very gracious. And I say, what a grace it is to have someone who has already finished the work do the finished work in me and in you, because my eternity is secure, and he continues to shape me according to his good and gracious will with his compassionate and loving touch. This is what I pray brings us unity. Unity in Christ. A oneness in Christ. Not just that we kind of agree with each other and don't argue with each other, but that we have found our oneness in our Savior and our Lord. To Him be the glory, now and forever. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.